SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase. What's up, everyone? This is Aaron Reese, one of the two Mizzou beat writers at the Kansas City Star. Uh, normally, do a Facebook Live for you all every week to kind of run down through things. Me and my co-beat partner Alex Schiffer, but um, as kind of one of this weird period where basketball and football overlap, uh, we are not in the same place. We're not even in the same state. Um, I was in Arkansas yesterday for the Mizzou football game, and Alex is in Orlando for the Advocare Invitational, where Mizzou is putting together a pretty good showing after uh the michael porter jr news um that he is going to be out for the whole season after undergoing back surgery in dallas on tuesday um so the top prospects will have played just two minutes in his Mizzou career most likely but we're going to go ahead and we're going to run through all that uh, right now in a phone call while um, alex is driving to tampa and i'm back in missouri um, and he has you have some time to kill because you're uh, you're not really going to be covering another game until Sunday night. Mizzou is playing in the um, the Advocate Invitational Championship against West Virginia Sunday evening uh, when this podcast was hosted before that. So how do uh, how do you feel about everything that's happened with Michael Porter Jr.? It's been crazy, you know. Missouri obviously wasn't saying a lot during this whole thing. And it kind of led to a lot of speculation. I mean, before they officially announced the news, we heard a little bit of everything. We heard back, hip, leg, growth plate. Uh, someone told me they heard he was going to play overseas instead. It, it was just a whirlwind. So in the from the news angle, I'm glad it's over just because we have the clarity we need now can can move on with our jobs. But obviously it's... it's uh, it's devastating for Missouri and its fan base, especially after the last three years and all the hype he brought and all the ticket sales and really just still a lot to process, honestly. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny that you say that because you mentioned all the misinformation or different information. Basically, everything except for the overseas thing was in some way kind of right because the surgery he had, still I don't know, uh, microdiscectomy gets rid of a gets rid of a herniated disc um, that is pressing against the cent- like a central nerve along your spine, and that can cause you to feel kind of weakness or pain um, along your leg and your hip um, and down your leg. So that's kind of how I think, at least. Uh, obviously, you know things just get changed through as they pass from person to person. But I think that's in part why kind of it was so confusing and why you were hearing hip and leg then whatever and like when he's sitting on the bench after that first night was taken he comes out he has ice on his hip because you know it's just where he was feeling weak i guess but um yeah you know it's 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 unfortunate um just as someone who enjoys watching basketball i would have liked to be able to watch him play 35 games or however many it was and and i think that it's impossible regardless of how good this team is to not think for the rest of the season you know like what if um, but I, I do think that, you know, I, Mizzou fans obviously are going to be upset, and I, I get that. But, um, you know, this is still a really interesting team. And for a, t- for a fan base that watched its team win, what, like eight games last year and, and eight, ten games before that and seven the year before that or whatever, like however low those numbers were, I mean, this is – you they should still have a lot to be pretty happy about. I mean, if you told the, 
those fans last year that they were going to get Jonte Porter and Jeremiah Tillman and Blake Harris and Cassius Robertson and a coach in Gonzo Martin who, you know, has has a pretty good reputation, I think they would be pretty happy. So it's not, you know, and I, again, I understand that once you have what you think you want and then you lose it, that, that changes your perspective. But, I mean, you know, come on. I saw, I saw people posting after they beat St. John's yesterday uh, in a really good game that, oh, well, St. John's should have never hung close with Mizzou. Like, Mizzou should have buried them. It's like, come on. Like, this is a, this, St. John's was undefeated going into this game, and, and Mizzou would have gotten crushed by them a year ago. Like, this is I, – I, perspective changing just makes people actually stupid. Yeah, I think, as you said earlier, the biggest – what stinks the most is for the rest of the team especially is that there's a what-if cloud hanging over them the rest of the season. Like, let's just say they go on a miraculous run and make the NCAA tournament without Michael Porter. That's a ridiculous year in itself, if you ask me. That might get Conzo Martin, the SEC Coach of the Year, if that were to happen. Right. And yet, and yet fans would say, well – what if they had Michael Porter Jr.? Like, if they made the tournament without him, think of how they could have fallen, they could have gone with him. You, you know, life's full of what-if situations. What if this recruit chose Missouri instead? What if people said in 2013, if Mizzou got Ezekiel Elliott, even though they had Henry Josie and Russell Hands throw a Marcus Murphy at running back, that he could have been the difference to get them over Auburn. I mean, it was still a great year knowing that no one expected. You know, you can't. You, you gotta, you gotta settle for what you have in front of you. Take what you can get, right? And, and and again, I understand. You know, this had three number one recruits in its history, but in football, Tony Van Zant hurt himself before he even got to campus. DGB gets kicked off the team in football a few years uh, pretty recently, um, and then now Michael Porter Jr. plays two minutes. So I get, you know, I the whole low is me thing. I understand, but you know, I think if you step back and you think about it, this. Michael Porter Jr. had an immense impact on Mizzou, despite the fact he will probably never play at Mizzou again. And, and he'll, he'll have gone down with two points in his career. Because without him, they don't get Ter- Jeremiah Tillman. Without him, they don't get Blake Harris. Without him, they don't get Jonte Porter. And Jonte Porter looks like, you know, if he stays two or three years, he could be really, really, really good. Uh, Tillman is the same way, and Blake is the same way. And I don't think, you know, and you know, we'll see what happens. But all those guys seem to be happy. They all seem to like it at Mizzou. Um, and they all have something they can kind of build together. Um, so that, and that gives Conzo Martin still a really good foundation. And, you know, Michael Porter Jr. was always only going to be at Mizzou for one year. So Mizzou fans don't get that one year, but it's not like they, they lost out on like a whole college career of this kid. Yeah. You know, to me, the other interesting thing is, is as of right now, we all expect Michael Porter to declare for the draft and go in June, and I would still bet my life savings that happens. But the little part of me wonders two things. If Mizzou is, like, making a push toward being a tournament team and he's healthy in February, March, is there any conversation at all of him um, coming back and playing some of those last few games or does he just completely sit the whole thing out? And again, I, I think there's a one percent chance of that happening, but it might be a conversation that we have in February and March. And on top of that, just you know, there's Marvin Bagley, there's this kid from Europe whose name I can't pronounce, and there's top draft picks, draft pro, yeah, prospects too. Um, 
And some guys emerge out of nowhere. You know, Buddy Heald wasn't supposed to go as high as he ended up going before his huge year at Oklahoma. I wonder a little bit just if, with the questions about the back, if enough guys emerge to kind of get Michael Porter Jr. slipped, you know, toward the lower top ten or beyond of the mock draft, does that does, does a second year get entertained at all? Again, I'm a, if I were a betting man, I would say that neither of these things would end up happening. But it could drum up some conversation around February or March, depending upon how the rest of the college basketball season shakes out. And right. I think I think two things. First, I would say that the odds he would come back, just however their season is going, to me it would seem very unlikely. Just because if you assess the whole situation right, like they, the Porter family handled this situation with kind of an immense amount of caution. They viewed it as, you know, it's not even worth trying to rehab. It's not worth sitting down. Like let's just try to fix this now with the back surgery. And you know, I wasn't in the room with the doctors. They obviously got a pretty legit orthopedic surgeon to operate on him. Maybe that is the right call. Maybe it's not. Whatever. But you know, I mean, that seems to be their view of things. That they want to take the most cautious they can. So coming back immediately from back surgery and and playing and just for five college games or however many it, it would be wouldn't seem likely. But again, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe we don't know. We don't know anything he thinks. So maybe we're wrong. But um, but in terms of the the draft thing, that that is interesting what you mentioned. But I think you know, and this sometimes gets lost on people. I, I think people who don't follow the NBA really closely, but you know, the NBA draft is not like is not like the NFL draft where you're likely to get a few guys who are not gonna go in the first round or gonna be stars. Almost always, you know, second round picks, like the back half of the second round of the NBA draft, they don't even make their teams. And if they do, they're like they're also just playing in the in the G League now, you know, like the the minor leagues for the NBA. Um and in terms of the first round, I mean there's a huge drop off from the the third pick to the tenth pick, which is not the case in the NFL. Like, no, normally most NBA drafts, like there's maybe three, four elite guys in the whole draft, three or four guys that you think could be the best player on a championship team if everything breaks right. And even then, like maybe only one or two of them are like sure all stars. And Michael Porter Jr. falls in that sort of category. I mean, he's that he's that sort of like if assuming he's healthy, he's that sort of like sure all star at some point in his career. Maybe he has an end of being Kevin Durant, like people assume he is, but he's six foot ten. He can shoot. He can he can rebound. He can he's he's fast. I mean, so I think that I think that he his draft stock, while it might be somewhat affected, he's still going to fall in that tier of those sort of guys who have the chance to be the best player on a, on a championship NBA team, and that's why you still pick him as high as you would and, and take the risk rather than take maybe someone who has no injury risk but a, a much clearer sort of lower ceiling. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's decision-making would be different if they had a multi-million dollar price tag hanging over their head. And, you know, time will tell if, the, you know, back surgery for a kid his age is really serious stuff. Time will tell if it was the right move and if it fixed what it needed to and all that. But, you know, life goes on. You know, Tonza Martin said after the game against Long Beach State that it is what it is and life goes on. and I feel like that was the quickest, easiest way to sum it up. You know, it, it stinks, it's awful, but Missouri's got to move on without it. Yeah, well, well, let's talk about that because you've, I mean, you've been, you obviously been in Orlando, and they've have um, looked pretty good. Um, and Conzo and even said after that, after I think one of the games, right, that he thinks that kind of 
having a, a, a final, finality that this whole sort of saga of is he coming back? Is he not coming back? Is he traveling with the team? Is he not traveling with the team? Is he sitting on the bench? Is he not sitting on the bench? Like having having kind of a an, an ultimatum to all of that has has helped kind of clear this team's head mentally, and maybe that explains why they played Emporia State so closely. They were just they were just finding out about this news. So, do, what have you seen that has impressed you, or, or or gives you some sort of thought that maybe this is a team that could still go to the tournament or could still put up a pretty respectable showing this year? Yeah, you know, the last two games that they've won without, you know, after the verdict, it's been very balanced scoring. They've had five players in double figures both games. Jordan Geis has looked awesome. I had one NBA scout tell me yesterday that I was watching just that they thought he was the MVP of both games because when St. John's defense was really getting on Missouri in the second half, he did a good job of calming them down and kind of sorting out traffic. And against Long Beach State, he was just so efficient. I mean, 17 points off the bench. I think it was seven, eight rebounds, five assists, something like that. He just, he's been awesome. He's been a great asset for them off the bench. Colin Van Leer's hitting his threes when he gets them, which is a good thing for this team. Jeremiah Tillman had some bad fouls for yesterday, but Jonte Porter has really, like, against Long Beach State, he, he looked fantastic. And yesterday he played hero a bit with that bank three to really ensure Missouri's lead over St. John's when they were rallying late. And he's, you know, I think that Missouri's bench, everyone talked about the supporting cast, you know, around Michael Porter. But, you know, Kyle Martin said after the, the verdict on him that this is what it's going to be, with, you know, without him. You know, everyone's got to contribute. Everyone's got to throw in, you know, we – kind of scrapped some offensive sets where Mike was kind of calling the shots and uh, everything revolved around him. So when this team's hitting threes, I think they can beat just about anybody. But that's the biggest thing is that they're a jump-shooting team and it's it's a little risky to live and die by the three. But also, if Jeremiah Tillman can stay out of foul trouble, he can change their offense and they can run things through him. And same thing with Jontae. Right. Well, I mean, and losing die by the three means two things, right? Like, there's going to be some games you're going to lose, but people are going to, before the game, look at it on paper and say, you definitely should not lose this game. There's going to be some games you're going to win that you're probably thinking we have an outside chance of winning this. Uh, and maybe those games in, you know, like Kentucky, stuff like that. Um, but, it, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that, and someone mentioned this to me with Jonte, right? Like, the, the biggest sort of thought of why he would maybe stay in school, in high school for another year, which he could have done, was like, oh well, he could he could you know play without the the shadow of Michael, and and that's why he wanted to you know play that full AAU season that he played this summer. He kind of drum up his stats and and sort of and prove himself by himself. Well, now he's going to get to do that at the college level um, earlier than he anticipated. So that's kind of that's going to be kind of fun to watch. Um, I think it's also kind of fun to it's going to be kind of fun to watch just like all these Kim Anderson guys are going to, like, guys, like you mentioned, you know, they're going to be making big contributions to a team that's suddenly really changed. I thought it was really interesting uh, to think about, you know, Cassius Robertson came here for a pretty explicit purpose, right, to play around all his talent on national TV and, and this drain open threes. And now, I mean, he'll still, you know, have a pretty similar role to that, but it's not it's not necessarily what he envisioned. Um and I was I was wondering how he was going to respond, um, kind of to to Mike being out permanently, just because 
um, you know, he had not played well in the in the in the Emporia State game and the Utah game, but he uh, he seems to have, he seems to have rebounded pretty well in Orlando. What have you seen out of Cash in Orlando? He looked awesome yesterday. He played hero in my mind. I know Jordan Barnett led with 19 points, but Cash has had four threes, all of which came in the second half, and he had like three in a short sequence that really gave Missouri the momentum back in the game and really swung it in their favor. And then he had one with like 156 up on the clock. That was like the nail in the coffin. Like you knew when that three went in, I really started to finish up my gun because for those wondering, guns your instant game story. Um, but I like he he was the hero yesterday. He had a really efficient shooting night. They're going to need that for him consistently. And he he finally started to look the part down here where, as you would said, what they recruited him to be, a, a three-point sharpshooter. So, again, they can kill you from three, but when they're not going in, it might be a long night, especially with Tillman and foul trouble. That's, you know, we were both in Utah. Tillman had foul trouble, Jante played bad, and they couldn't buy a bucket, and they got blown out. And that, I feel like, I feel like Utah, we saw their worst-case scenario where, they can't They're hit two. shots, and they don't have guys down low. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, if you take both of those things away, it's going to be a very long night for that. Yeah, and that's going to happen some games, almost certainly. But I think you're also going to see a lot of games like the ones you've seen in Florida. Um, you know, so Cassius was the starting point guard for all of, like, a few games, a game or two, and, and then they flipped the lineup around, taking Collins and Wheeler out of it, put Joey guys in it now. Boy, Terrence has started in this tournament. Do, do you get the sense at all? Do this kind of anything at all? But is this kind of does this seem like the starting lineup as he as he found the right rotations, or is it still kind of a process? Uh, I think it's a starting lineup from Tuesday against Miami of Ohio. From there on out, I'm not sure about tomorrow night against West Virginia because I was watching West Virginia yesterday and their press is just brutal. And I don't know how much Conzo trusts Blake with the ball in his hands against the, for a young player like that against yeah. something of that of West Virginia's caliber. So that, tomorrow night, I kind of wonder how much Blake plays and if he even starts. But after that, I think I think for sure he's the guy of the future. He looked great against Long Beach State. He had nine assists, eleven points. He takes a lot of shots. You know, he go and. I mean physical shots, not basketball shots. He'll drive through the lane a lot, and he winds up on the ground all the time. I was telling some reporters near me yesterday, you know, I, I always wonder if he's hurt whenever he goes down because he's, he's not the biggest guy. He's still a freshman. He's still getting his body together in the weight room. And here he is um, driving through the lane, you know, trying to do all these crazy moves around these post players, and he winds up on the floor 90% of the time. So it's kind of tough for me to get a gauge sometimes as to how how banged up he is. But I think he's the guy for sure. I think Jordan Geis, though, you know, Missouri fans were wondering if he was even worth keeping around when Conzo got hired. Geis has been phenomenal. I mean – And Conzo loves him. I mean, Conzo – because he's the defensive first guy, and Conzo loves him. Yeah, he, he's – a pest on defense, as Conzo called him. Conzo said on Thursday he wrecked havoc on defense. And 
he gives them energy. He, Jordan said on Thanksgiving after the Long Beach State game, my role on this team is to come off the bench and give energy and be a pain in the ass on defense. And, oh, I, I don't know if we're going to be cursing the podcast. Well, it's okay. I think it's well, fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but he's, he's been great for this team. He's Conzo's kind of guy. And Terrence Phillips, we've seen his role shrink dramatically on this team. So I think, I think it's Blake and Geist going forward at the point and some Terrence sprinkled in here and there. Yeah. Yeah, and that was interesting because Terrence didn't really play a lot the past few games, but he came in uh, and, and was really efficient um, against St. John's, I think it was, right? I mean, he had five assists in, what, 10 minutes? Yeah. I'm not thinking of a different game. Yeah, St. John's, yeah. Um, okay, well, let's talk about football now. They, uh, I just got back from Arkansas. Um, and a 48-45 win. It was Mizzou's closest win of the season. It was, really wasn't close um, compared. To, I mean, it wasn't close in terms of the other wins that it was comparing to. I mean, prior to this game, um, Mizzou's slimmest margin of victory was 28 points, which was the week before at Vanderbilt. Um, so this game was a bit different. And I thought that you know there was a lot to not like about the game. If you're Mizzou, um, defense looked pretty bad. Uh, you know, Marshall Frazier was good, but on the defensive line, but uh, past, the secondary was really, really terrible. Um, to be quite honest, they 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 got blown by on, on play action passes and and on screen passes. Um, Arkansas had a lot of success too, which you know that that falls on the defensive line. So kind of all around was just not a good um, performance for the defense. Quite a few missed tackles. Um, but you know, I I think there's something to be said about the fact that this team has really only played two close games all year. Um, they have been decided by one score. One was at Kentucky, which is the, our first game actually covering the team in this job. Um, and they uh, and they lost that one. And that was two weeks before this winning streak began. And then, you know, they and it was kind of a similar position. They had a chance to drive down the field. And I forget if they had a chance to win it or tie it, but do you remember? But they, uh, but either way, I mean, it was, it was a close game. And, and that came down to the last possession was a chance to, you know, control its fate kind of on the last possession. Didn't work out for them. Um, and this time they, uh, this time they did, they, they had, they, had, they were tied 45 all five minutes left, drove down field, blood the clock down, kicked a field goal, nine seconds left. And then they won the game. Um, so I think, you know, even if the defense wasn't great, I think that says something about the way this team looks. And that's kind of what all the players have said was that, you know, this is, Truelock said, you know, we, we kind of, we've grown through so much. We've, we've fought through so much. We've seen all these different situations throughout the whole season. We've lost it. We've won big. Um, we've been, we've been like, you viewed as, you know, dead in the water. Then we've come back. And it was time for us to just kind of seize control. And I thought that was really um, an impressive thing for him to say. Uh, I was, I was, uh, I thought that despite how bad the loss or the, the defense played, in a way it showed kind of a, a mental toughness about Mizzou that really wasn't examined or needed to be needed to be there in those other wins. Yeah, you know, I I watched the whole game from my computer. I thought that the only knock was the way the defense played. That's probably not the way you want your defense to look going into a bowl game, but. They, you know, they, they've had adversity a lot throughout the year, and they, they kept powering through. And I thought for Tucker McCann to kind of hit the uh, game-winning field, but even though it was kind of a chip shot, it was pretty fitting because he misses the first one of the season, and then it was an extra point he had missed. 
and people have said Missouri should go for two the rest of the year. He's done. He had a rough freshman year, and now he, he looks like the player they recruited. Right, he's and, been very stable all year, yeah. Yeah, and I thought for Drew to have put up the numbers he did, he had two picks. One was a bad throw. One kind of looks like the corner made a pretty nice play on. And for Drew to put up the numbers he's done this season with, a couple of his receivers having a bad case of the drops, Manuel Hall at Vanderbilt and then Jamon yesterday. Even and Jonathan Johnson, Johnson has not caught a pass from If half forever. those are caught, yeah. it'd be scary to see what his numbers are after that. So, I uh, – 43 touchdown passes for Locke now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of crazy just to see how this team has changed course and has done a complete 180. And it's Drew kind of knocked the uh, – people wondered if Drew had that extra gear going into this year, and he clearly does. And he's, he's running a bit more, too. He had that big 35-yard run the other day. Yeah, the offense is so much better when you can, you know, you have to prepare for that, I think. It just unlocks a whole other element for them. And we saw bad Missouri offensive lines give guys like Maddie and then Drew in his earlier years no time to throw. Drew took his hits freshman and sophomore year. You know, not as much last year because the, the line was a lot improved, but especially his freshman year. But he, you know, I the thing that kept, like, when I was watching yesterday just, he had so much time to throw on some of those big, big deep ball plays. And yeah. that wasn't the case when he first came here. You know, I think he kind of got a bad rap when he came in because people just had these unrealistic expectations for him. And now that he's had time to develop, he's really looked apart. So yeah, it's, absolutely. it's been a crazy transformation. I, um, I think that, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, because I mean, his greatest asset, even when he was going to high school, right, was his arm. And if you don't have the time to throw, you can't really show that off. Um, I, I, you know, he's going to have to make a decision on whether to go to the NFL draft or not. We've, I've written about this, but um, you know, if he does come back, I know they're losing Jamon, but this offense, man, I mean, I think, I think it could be really, really great next year. Um, you know, you'll get Emmanuel Hall back. Maybe Emmanuel Hall develops into more of kind of like an all-around receiver, runs a few more routes other than just running by somebody. Um, and, uh, and you know, and, they'll find, and you saw Balberto. Um, maybe you find someone suitable to kind of replace Jamon. Maybe he's not the same level, but you assume that Emmanuel gets better. You assume Albert gets better. You still have Larry Roundtree behind you. You still have Demarie behind you. Um, you still have most of the offensive line coming back. I mean, that's that's going to be a really, really good offense. Um and so I, I think it'd be fun to see what he could kind of look like as a senior. And, you know, and he was – after that game yesterday, and that really was the most excited I had ever seen him. And he even said it was the most excited he'd ever been after a game. I think there's something he seems to really be kind of relishing about this experience, about winning and, and kind of and, – and, and doing so at Mizzou. Um, and, and I could – I don't know. I just I, – it seems to me like he, he – he, just winning eight games would maybe not just be enough for him, but we'll we'll see. Um, winning eight games is still possible, which is crazy. I mean, this team started one and five, and now they're the first SEC team to ever um, become six and seven and five from one and five. Um, just the fourth Power Five team to ever do so, um, and they uh, they'll have a chance for a bowl game, which is uh, again wild. The bowl game possibilities. Um, we kind of went through those real quick. If uh, if Auburn went, I don't know when this will be posted, probably after the Iron Bowl, but regardless, now you'll know. Uh, if I, if Auburn wins today, 
um, that would probably seem more likely that uh, Mizzou would go to the Texas Bowl uh, because if Auburn won, that would mean that uh, either Auburn or Georgia would probably play, go to the playoffs and then that Alabama would still get to go to um, one of the access bowls, which is the playoff bowls that are not playoff bowls those years. And so with that loser the SEC title game, that would then mean that there are six eligible um, SEC teams remaining for bowls. Um, one of them would go to the Citrus Bowl, which then gets the next pick after the playoff bowls um, and the access bowls. Um, and so that would probably be you know, uh, like Mississippi State maybe. Um, and that would be five more. And, but it's called the pool of six of so the FCC has after that. Obviously, five can't fill six. So one of those would be left off. Um, and that would make, mean that maybe Mizzou wouldn't get to go to the Liberty Bowl, which some people have talked about. Um, uh, but if if Alabama wins the Iron Bowl, which you know you would maybe think they would, Alabama is an amazing team, um, then that would mean that Auburn might go to the Citrus Bowl. Um, Alabama would play in the playoff. Georgia would play in the Access Bowl. And that would leave. Um, six more bowl teams to fill out the other six, in which case it would seem very much likely that Mizzou would play in the Liberty Bowl um, in Memphis on December 30th, um, which would be good for Mizzou fans. Quick drive for most people from St. Louis or Columbia or um, even Kansas City. Uh, it's not too far. And, you know, if you want to spend their New Year's Eve in Memphis, it'd be kind of a, a fun way to uh, to make the trip. Do you have a uh, do you have bowl game preference? Um. I don't think the odds are for somewhere warm, so it is what it is. But um, <laughs> well, Houston would be warm. Houston would be warm. That's true. Um, I think the Liberty Bowl would be great for storylines to be big against a Big Twelve opponent. Barry Odom goes back to Memphis, the city where he'd likely be coaching. It have people never retired. Um, Jonathan Johnson. There's a lot of standout Mizzou players from Memphis and area they recruit. So. There'd be a lot there for us as journalists to cover. Um, I think the Texas Bowl would also have some cool storylines, guys like Jamon going home, Josh Bledsoe. But um, it's it's tough to say. You know, I love Music City just because we'd be in Nashville. I love covering stuff in Nashville. Um, But we'll see, you know. uh, we have no idea how this is going to shake out. I know the Tax Slayer Bowl also likes Missouri. and Yeah, they've been in a few of the games, yeah. Yeah, they've been in a few. So, who knows? But, you know, I, I guess covering a bowl is better than covering a coaching search. So, I guess we can't really complain. Yeah. There were, there were no bowl representatives at the Missouri-Arkansas game, which was kind of weird, but I guess it's day after Thanksgiving, whatever. Um, I mean, Missouri's going to make a bowl regardless, so it doesn't really matter whether really. Representatives show up to their games anymore. Um, all right. Well, any uh, any parting thoughts? You're you're on the way to Tampa. Why aren't you just going to a beach? It's not warm enough here for that. It's actually pretty cold. I regret bringing just my leather jacket and not a sweatshirt. I might have to go uh, to Walmart or something and buy one. Yeah. What's um, the temperature? It's like in the high sixties, low seventies. It's been dropping into like the fifties at night though. Okay. Okay. All right, well, but, anything uh, else you want to talk about, or we covered it? Uh, you know, I guess just going into tomorrow night's game against West Virginia. Missouri clearly has a size advantage. West Virginia's a relatively small team. They wouldn't have an answer for guys like Tillman or uh, or Jonte. But, um, but 
I don't know how much Missouri's going to be able to handle West Virginia's defense, and I think that's the biggest thing going into the game is just can this team score against that defense? And Missouri has some experienced guys like Barnett, Cassius, and uh, Kevin Currier, but West Virginia is a very veteran-heavy team, and, and can that can that experience match up? And can the young guys play play up to that too? So, should be an interesting game. If Missouri wins, holy cow! If they lose, I don't see them losing the rest of the conference schedule. I don't think Illinois is that much of a challenge when Missouri's hitting threes. Um, but if Missouri wins this game, they could be getting AP votes going into the week. I don't know if they'd be ranked, but I think they'd get AP votes for sure. Yeah, be quite the rebound from the uh, Michael Porter devastation. But uh, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it, um, and uh, I hope you're reading uh, the stories we're writing about Mizzou stuff because we're writing a whole lot of it. Uh, you can find it at KansasCity.com or at Kansas City Star. Um, and go ahead and like the, our Facebook page, uh, Mizzou Zone. It's facebook.com backslash Mizzou Zone KC Star. Uh, and that way you can uh, see, a whole, see it come up in your news feed if, if that's the way you tend to get uh, your, the stuff you like to read. So anyway, thanks again. Uh, I'm Aaron Reed. He's Alex Schiffer. Um, and hope you enjoyed. Bye.